0: My name is Ryan Wheaton.
1: I'm Matthew Fisher.
0: And uh, I'm going to go lower energy than you.
1: I was going to say, this is our most solemn opening to date. Maybe it's the choice of film
0: <laughs> someone <song you> chose. <laughs> you think we can do this tastefully? No. <laughs> I mean, I've got a blowjob joke in, in the <laughs> loaded, ready to go. <laughs> Well, <laughs> stay
1: tuned. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay, yeah. blowjob joke on the horizon.
0: Indeed. Looking forward to it. <laughs> There's a. We just passed a billboard that says 257 minutes until blowjob joke.
1: We're, it's not gonna be that long. No, <laughs> we
0: we'll get that one out early. I have a
1: new love in my life. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the movie yet, but. Uh, Tom Holland, the new Spider-Man, mm,
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not because of anything that he did in Spider-Man. Still haven't seen the movie. I might fall in love with him. You know, he seems like a little spider minx. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I saw him in a lip-sync battle episode. Oh, where he did start out doing "Singing in the Rain," okay, which I know that you haven't seen. Mm-hmm. But then it transforms into Rihanna's "Umbrella." Cause he's singing uh, in the rain. He's yeah, got an umbrella. that makes sense. He does it in full drag, Ooh. like fishnet stockings and like corsets. Ooh, that boy can dance. Yeah. And as you know, long-time listeners will know, uh, my level of attraction goes up infinitely if you can dance. Yeah. And he really can, and he like knocks it out of the park. Like oh. leans in heavy to the like the drag shtick. Uh, but then, like, can actually dance on top of it. And, yeah, so... I feel bad, because he's 21. It's outside of my comfort zone. Right. What was that?
0: We have, we came it, with the... We a It's half your
1: age plus seven. Okay. Is usually, like, the acceptable bar. And even, like... Not in terms of, like, looks, but just in ter- terms of, like, maturity. Like, I can't go lower than that anymore. Yeah. Like, it's just... Different mindsets. But I might make an exception. Can
0: you Remember? imagine the ego on that kid, though? I'm in a blockbuster movie at 21. I know. Oh, it's going to be like D- dating Justin Bieber. <laughs> All over again? <laughs>
1: <sighs> 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 that was worse than our time together. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you watch anything outside the podcast this week? I did. Yeah?
0: Um, I finally got around to watching, and I know I'm saying this wrong, Okaya.
1: Oh, the Bong Joon-ho
0: movie? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep.
1: You say finally as if it's been out for ages.
0: <laughs> yeah, it came out last week, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like that's something I wanted to watch immediately and didn't. Ah. So, I was on vacation, da 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 Anyway, um, I haven't seen a movie by that director that I don't like yet. Barking Dogs Don't Bite? I liked it. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but, um... This movie I think is good. Um it's very it's his his like moniker of being the South Korean Steven Spielberg is really starting to show in this movie, particularly I feel. Um He has that moniker? Yeah. I had no idea. Oh. Well, maybe I just read that somewhere or I made it up in my head. <laughs> Either way, uh it really feels it feels like a, a Spielberg blockbuster, but okay. with like a cynical a more cynical edge to it, all right? Um I love, I mean, Tilda Swinton is great. Um, the little girl is really good. Paul Dan- Dano is actually pretty good. He's a real hit or miss actor for me, but I liked him a lot in this. How much does he fart in this movie? He doesn't fart Oh, okay. at all. But oh. the uh, titular sign uh, character definitely has some turds and farts all over the screen. But Jake Gyllenhaal is in this movie, and he is unhinged. <laughs> really, it is an intense performance.
1: More or less intense than Nightcrawler.
0: Uh, more, but in a different way.
1: Oh, really?
0: Yeah, it's it's like watching a cartoon. Really? Yeah, he's it's intense. All right. And you know, Tilda Swinton can choose some scenery when she wants to, but. Mm-hmm. I think she gets a little out acted. By J. G. Hall? Yeah. It's recommended, if nothing else, for that, for his acting in that. But um I like it. It had it has a cynical like I said, it's this it's a Spielberg movie but with a cynical edge. Okay. And it's way more it's like as far as getting uh original content in a blockbuster, which you don't really get anymore from Hollywood, it's all like superhero movies. This this is great. It's okay. really it's really good. It's a good story. And it's also it's bilingual. There's uh, like switches naturally between English and Korean all over the the place. And um, I don't know. I I, I like it. I recommend it, um, especially if you're a fan of this director like myself. Um, he hasn't blown me away for a while, but still, way up there.
1: Yeah, because I remember you and I saw Snowpiercer in theaters together. Yeah,
0: which I liked. Yes. I don't think it wasn't the amaze balls experience I was expecting.
1: I remember, like, we both walked away from it being like, I liked it.
0: Mm-hmm. But, like, we
1: weren't like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. we, we were both like, that was solid. Like, totally worth watching. Yeah. I watched it, you know, a year or two later with some other friends. And in that, there's, like, the scene where they're... They find out, like, the protein bars they've been eating were made of bugs. Right. And I was watching it with someone who goes, bugs are a great source of protein. Yeah. <laughs> like, what... This is practical. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, what, what's the big deal? And I was like, yeah, I kind of feel the same way, like, this dude literally eats a baby and he's complaining about grasshoppers.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Good point. So, I don't know. I feel like if Push him to shove, I w- wouldn't really, you know. I am also like the Pumbaa in my own life, so. <laughs> Maybe I'm biased.
0: Hey, Hakuna Matata.
1: You're sort of a Timon. <laughs> yeah? It's Pumba. Pumbaa. Two confirmed bachelors. (laughs) Out in the wild. Just running around. Singing Elton John songs.
0: Hmm. (laughs) Uh, how about
1: you? I watched a bunch of stuff. Uh, have you ever heard of a movie called Brainstorm? I don't know. It was, it stars Christopher Walken and Natalie Wood. In Natalie Wood's last movie. Wow. It's about sensory replication machines. Oh, okay. Like, you put on a helmet and you feel emotions and sense and taste and everything, what someone else is doing. Yeah. Uh, And someone puts on the recording device while they die. Uh,
0: Ugh. So it's a
1: little bit, it's like, it's like if Flatliners was directed by Michael Crichton. (laughs) Okay.
0: Sounds kind of cool. The,
1: it it is kind of cool. It's also kind of long and kind of slow, hmm. uh, and it starts out like very much like a science fiction film. Like it's heavy on the science part. Okay. And it, like get, like at the end, it gives like this full throated endorsement to like Judeo Christian beliefs. <laughs> I'm like, it looks cool. Like it's it looks great, but I'm like, this was like so sciencey at the beginning, and now it's like. There's just some things we'll never understand. Oh, and I'm God. like, oh. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes Natalie, feelings oh, off,
0: but... Natalie Wood drowned, and that was her biggest fear. Isn't that awful? Was that her biggest fear? Yeah, I saw, because I saw something, uh, a, it was like a behind the scenes of, um, what is it, Leaves of Grass? hmm. No, that's not right. Splendor Splendor in the splendor grass. In the um, where she's swimming in this big thing and she was terrified to do that scene because her biggest fear was drowning. Mm. And then she drowned. Not while filming that, but... But
1: under mysterious circumstances, nonetheless. Yeah. It's like, she's on a boat. Yeah. And then she wasn't on the boat. <laughs> Natalie. And it was Christopher Walken's boat. What? Yeah. <gasps> really? Yeah. I mean, the the... Celebrity gossip rumor is that someone caught uh, Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken, like she walked in on them, and they threw her off. That's what? Like, <laughs> that's like the juicy celebrity gossip. I think it was Robert. God, Wagner.
0: this is juicy.
1: And like, Christopher Walken like does not talk about it. Like their like official statement is like she fell off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Not to perpetuate
0: rumors. (laughs) I'm totally... When I go home, I'm going (laughs) to just internet hole this. (laughs) I'm going down that rabbit hole. Well, speaking of murder... Hashtag smooth transition. (laughs) Would you like to talk about um, today's movie?
1: I would. Why don't you uh, introduce it for us?
0: Great. Well, uh, the movie that I picked for this week is uh, Fritz Lang's 1931 masterpiece, M. Just the letter. Now, before we dive
1: into this, Uh I'd like to ask you... What was your motivation for choosing this?:
0: I had a few, okay um a big one was that last season I focused a lot on movies from the last twenty years or so, so I wanted to pick something older. Uh-huh. um I wanted to pick something uh in a foreign language, uh-huh. so this kind of fit both those bills. and uh you know, after watching it today, I'm gonna throw in there that uh it's as it's a stylish piece of cinema that um, I don't feel like enough people know about. Okay. And I want to spread the word about it. Okay. It's about child murder.
1: <laughs> it really is. <laughs>
0: like, there, there's no
1: way to sugarcoat that.
0: No, yeah, the first uh, sequence of scenes is literally um, children a little girl getting, getting killed. We well, don't see it.
1: The the like the very first scene is like the children playing like hopscotch or whatever, right? With like the children's rhyme about
0: being, being mur- murdered, yeah. And what's interesting is that so this was his first talkie or first like movie with sound, yeah. Nineteen thirty one is yeah. where this is from, and uh, he starts it off with black screen and a bell ding. <laughs> And then you hear the children's voices.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then it comes up on them, so it's like he's kind of saying, you know, sound, he, he's really thinking about sound as an element to this, which I really like too.
1: Well, I was thinking, because he made Metropolis only four years earlier, mm-hmm. Fritz Lang did, and really it's almost like, he's like, well, this is all you can do with silent film. Like, <laughs> I have uh, reached the peak, so you guys better come up with some new technology for <laughs> it. Bring they... it on. Yeah. Yeah. Because it really is, like, Metropolis is huge. Yeah. Like, by any measure or metric, like, creatively or just scale, like, it's massive. Totally. And then M, like, in, in comparison to scale, is small, but he, like, already had a full understanding of movies with sound, like that new medium. Right. He already seemed to grasp and understand.
0: Right. It, it comes out as a, as really a fully formed movie. Yeah. You know, like it wasn't like he was, there were a couple times where it feels like he's experimenting with sound a little bit, but for the most part, it's successful, I would say. Um, cause there, there's a couple times in the movie where it goes completely silent mm-hmm. and that, Feels more like a uh, conscious choice on his part than like oh well we don't know how yeah. to make all these sounds you know because it's Definitely. always broken by like something shocking like a whistle or um, I don't know there's a couple times where it happens but uh, it's it's really you just you just get the impression that he was really thinking about how sound can be integrated into film
1: yeah because he uses sound a lot that's not necessarily on the screen like like the the whistle motif yeah like rarely do you see the character whistling it on screen. Right, only he, once, I think. You hear it off screen, and it tells you that that character is nearby. Right. Like you don't see him, but you know that he's somewhere within, like, you know, uh, close proximity yeah. to what you're seeing in frame. Yeah,
0: and he does that immediately, too. It's You know, we see him, the first time we see Peter Laurie, who's the character... On screen, it's his shadow over yeah. the post the wanted poster for the child murder, and then I think I'm not sure if he's whistling as he comes up or if it's like right after that, but it's like you know that when you hear that whistle that it's associated with him and that was that's actually the first time that it was on film that it was like a a little musical reference was used to signify a character mm-hmm. um, so good job, fritz I mean
1: he's German. Listened to Wagner probably his whole life. Yeah. Probably had an idea of how to use a leitmotif.
0: Indeed. I wanted uh, wanted to talk uh, for a split second about Fritz Lang, the man. Yeah. Um, He, so he made this movie in 31. Uh, Hitler came to power in 33, in January of 33. And, um, Joseph Goebbels of all people called him into his office because he was making a movie that was kind of like not so happy, not so like Praising of the Nazi Party, so Joseph Goebbels called him into his office and was like, "Okay, we're gonna ban this movie that you're making now. Just you know, ooh, it doesn't make us look good." And he's like, "But I want to offer you this job as head of like our, you know, film company and like yeah, whatever Ministry of Cinema." Yeah, he's like, like "I want you to do that," and <laughs> Fritz Lang. You know, what kind of surveyed the situation, you know, was like, mm, let me think about that and then left that night. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to Paris. I <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah. He's he just he just saw the writing on the wall and was like, I'm getting out of here. Which was good on him. Yeah. His wife, who at the time helped him write M. Okay. Um, was starting to sympathize with the Nazi Party. Oh. So he got a divorce from her and took really? off. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Wow. She helped him write Metropolis, too, all the stuff in the 20s.
1: Which is weird, because Metropolis has a lot of, like, you know, it's sort of a, you know, it has that science fiction hyperbole of, like, a class system. Right. Um, it's weird, and, like, the, the perils of, you know, a prejudiced society and things like that. So yeah. it's weird that someone who ended up ultimately sympathizing with the Nazis would, you know, write... You know, basically an allegory for, or Helpwright, yeah, an allegory for like, yeah, the perils of like, yeah, a society with like a structured class system and prejudice. It's
0: funny how you can how you can switch like that, huh? (laughs) And uh, you know, I blame I blame Goebbels a lot for that. Like, when somebody's in charge of propaganda in such a way that it really like warps your, it can warp somebody's uh, sensibilities. Like the
1: Lion King did for us. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Indeed. It's, it's it's Hitler, Joseph Goebbels, and Walt Disney. I mean, right there. History's greatest perverse. <laughs> but, so, I don't know if this was a thing already in cinema, but, like, it it, it, it jumped out to me that, like, so the, there's the mom of the first, of the child who ends up dying, and she's looking at the clock, and, it, like, at one point it says noon, and then she looks up a little later, and it's, you know, 20 minutes past. Mm-hmm. And then she looks up later and it's one fifteen. Okay. And I don't know how often we get that as just, like, showing us the passage of time, you know? Like, it almost seems like that's something that would have been written in as dialogue. Oh, okay. You know? Whereas this is actually just showing us, we just infer that time is passing. And I think it's just a sophisticated move on on screenwriter or director's part um, to show us that time is passing, you know? Um... There's just a lot of sophisticated moves like that throughout this movie that uh, I think is impressive for
1: 1931. Yeah. uh, I'm not super well versed with silent cinema. I mean, most of the silent cinema I know is uh, comedies. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know too terribly much about, like, silent dramas. Um, But in that sort of that same scene, when, like, the mother's calling... For right. Elise, I think is the ch- child's name. Elsie. Elsie. Elsie! She she calls for her, LC. and it, the camera like looks down a spiral staircase. Uh-huh. And then like she calls her again, and the camera LC. is at like, an empty seat at the dinner table. Yeah. And that reminded me so much of another movie about child murder. <laughs> uh, well, not movie, but the Twilight... The, Pilot to Twin Peaks. Oh, because oh, right, yeah. There's the scene when like mm. the mother is crying after she realizes that Laura's dead, right? And the camera is just looking up at like the empty hallway and like the ceiling fan totally, spinning, yeah. Um, and at school, at the high school, when it's start- starting to circulate around the kids, like yeah. the high schoolers. Um, she, you see her starting to get nervous and she looks outside and like a girl is like running outside crying with like her hands and there's no real dialogue. You hear the, the girl crying and then it cuts back to, to learn from Boyle and she's crying Right. as, and then it like cuts to what she's crying at and it's the empty chair where Laura would have been. Right. I mean, it's in frame. I don't know if that's what Laura would have been. <laughs> that's definitely the implication by like the camera cutting to the chair. Yeah. Uh, and, like, it was just that, yeah, that David Lynch used, like, staircase with, like, at the mom's, or at the parents' house. Right. And then, like, the chair at the school. And, like, Fritz Lang used the staircase in, like, the apartment building. Right. And then the chair at the dinner table. And then,
0: to, like, seal the deal, he shows, uh, the balloon that Peter Lorre bought for her earlier, Mm. just, like, floating up, getting caught in lines, and then the freaking ball she was bouncing, you see it just, like, tumble down, and they're all, like, just, it, it's not saying, like, oh, guess she did, you yeah. know? It's like, these are, this, the absence is enough for you to infer that, like, oh, she did not make it. Yeah. <laughs> um And it's heavy. It's a yeah. heavy way to start a movie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's not many film. I can't think of many other films that deal with this heavy of subject matter in this
0: way. Yeah.
1: That kind of look at it in an unflinching way.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, there are definitely movies that are sort of like fantastical or like a period piece or something that, you know, might take place during, you know, warfare or something that like dealt with, you know, infanticide or something. Mm -hmm. But to deal with it, like in a modern setting, I mean, modern for 1931. Yeah. uh, It, I don't know. I can't think of another movie that really was bold enough to take that step.
0: And it's cool what he does right after that because then he focuses on like the hysteria that it's causing in the town. How quickly they become like a police state. Yeah, and it's it's cool. It's it's well written because it's like it's it's basically a series of vignettes, right? No. Of characters that are that aren't connected to each other but by, like, a line will happen that connects them together. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because I, I made a note
1: here that really, like, we're introduced to the character of Peter Laurie, but he doesn't have really that much screen time mm-hmm. until, like, the last act. Yeah. Like, we see him for a little bit, and I actually wondered, like, if I didn't already know that Peter Laurie was the star of this, would I identify this character as the killer? Mm-hmm. Because, really, like, the first time we see his face is when he's, like... Playing with it in the mirror? <laughs> yeah, when he's, like, making, like, smile motions with, like, his fingers in his face in the mirror. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I started thinking, like, if if I didn't already know that Peter Laurie was the murderer, would I, as an audience member, know that that's the villain of the story?
0: And I think uh, we're supposed to know that because there's a voiceover okay. of either the a police chief or somebody describing, like, what this type of person would be like. Okay. Like, what kind of mentality it takes to be a murderer like okay. this. And so then, like, that's when it cuts to Peter Lorre playing with his face. So I think okay. it's supposed to be inferred that, like, yeah, we're talking about this guy. Okay. Um, which is so savvy, you know? Okay. Yeah. To, it's really sophisticated to be, like, we're gonna be showing this thing, but this other guy who's off-screen is gonna be talking. Um... And you're going to understand from what we're showing you that this is what we're talking about. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's lots of that in this where there's like voiceover stuff that wouldn't, I don't think would work um, without sound. Okay. There's like, where was it? Uh. So yeah, there's the montage of searching, like they talk about the candy wrapper, right? The police officer is talking about how like this is a lead we have. And then that entails, like, searching in this radius and then searching in this radius and going to various candy stores. And then uh, it's just showing a montage of all that happening. And I don't think you would completely understand what was going on if you didn't have the voiceover going over it.
1: I was definitely thinking, like, how many title cards would this require if this wasn't a talkie? Right. Like, yeah, it, it requires so much sort of explanation in order to get the plot across But, like, he does it in, in, like, a compact manner. Like, it's not like it's all exposition. It's, like, telling and showing all at the same time. Right. They're explaining the process, and they're showing you the process. And, like, just, like, little things, like, as they're, like, drawing, like, the spirals out on, like, the map to, like, show, like, the, you know, the circumference and, like, the area of, like, where the search is taking place. It's sort of, like, visually stimulating. Like, the the spiral itself is sort of, you know, eye-catching. Yeah.
0: And, like, just the idea that there's going to be this, like the main story is the, the voice that this guy is talking. Mm-hmm. Um, but showing something different underneath while he's talking, I think is kind of a new concept mm-hmm. at that time. You know, yeah. like you would always just be seeing the people talking if they were saying something, but then this is doing, is kind of subverting that a little bit mm-hmm. showing there's different ways to tell a story. And I think there's even a time too, like right after that, when he's talking about how people are, uh, Like, he's like, there was, we had this case this other time where people would, you know, give us discrepancies in their, in their descriptions. And that's the guy, the two guys like fighting over green and red, like what color some other murderers, like the hat they were wearing. That's basically a flashback, you know, because it's like, he's like, oh yeah, we had this thing this one time and then it cuts to that scene. Um, I feel like that's kind of different and weird, too, you know, like, breaking up the timeline in a way that would probably, I'm guessing, kind of be jarring at the time. I don't know. Um, We're just so used to it now. Like, I I don't know how that would read in
1: 1931. Yeah, and uh, you were talking about how... Like, the movie has, like, the different sects that it focuses on. There's, like, the police, and there's, like, the underworld thing, and there's, like, members of, like, the public at large. Yeah. Uh, Because there's not really a star in this movie. Like, we recognize certain groups and certain individuals and groups, but, like, none of them could you really categorize as the protagonist.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: Like, they each play their part in, like, the certain, you know, uh, portion of society that they're depicted in but none of them are our hero necessarily. Yeah, we
0: don't have a hero.
1: I mean you know Peter Laurie maybe as the anti-hero, but even then like we're not really
0: rooting for that. <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah, and even like the the main investigator in the police, uh, I wrote his name down, Loman. Okay. Detective Loman is kind of like a little bumbling, you know? Sure. Like He's he's just doing his job, and he's like hits dead ends. Um, he's always one step behind a little bit too.
1: Yeah, it in a lot of ways you can trace this to modern day procedurals, and like I saw the influence of this on Zodiac, like while rewatching it. Yeah, just trying to a like paint the psychological portrait, but also. And, yeah, being one step behind. Because, you know, in, in Zodiac, spoiler alert, they never catch him. Mm-hmm. It's a true-life story. But, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know if we need a spoiler alert for true-life that really happened? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Especially 40-year-old true events. <laughs> yeah. Reagan got shot. Spoiler, spoiler alert! alert! He survived.
1: <laughs> yeah, that story's got an unhappy ending. <laughs> but, uh, I mean... The way that it it was, like, the police procedural, you know, following a killer that, like, seemingly couldn't really be caught. Right. I don't know, it just reminded me a lot of... I mean, even, like, Silence of the Lambs, you know, up through Seven and Zodiac. And reminding me of Seven, too, because, not to jump too far ahead, but, you know, once they catch the killer in Seven...
0: Right, it's the same conundrum.
1: You kind of almost sympathize with them a little bit like once peter lori lays out his case and you know i'm not a mental health expert but it sounds like he is describing paranoid schizophrenia <laughs> and you have that like little tinge that like you understand that he knows morally what he's doing is wrong right but that he can't stop himself right That it's not a matter of willpower like he loses control and he loses sense while he's doing this.
0: Right. Um, and, but then that sort of makes it really hard at the end, because then it's like, well, you know, can you apply that to anybody? It's like, oh then there's there's even one of the like beggars guys who stands up and is like, Yeah, we've all said that before the judge. <laughs> like, I couldn't help it. Yeah. You know, so it's sort of it's tough.
1: And it has that moral quandary at the end that is like, Does the state have the right to execute someone? No. It's like
0: you know, or does the mob? <laughs> yeah, it's like
1: it has the right to, you know, detain you and stop you from doing crimes. Does that entail stanc- state state-sanctioned murder? Yeah, and like it has this like just wonderful moral quandary at the very end.
0: And it doesn't answer the question because we don't know if he's guilty or not. At the end, we never get a final verdict. I mean, we know he's guilty. Or not. Well, we do. You're right. It's not. Morally ambiguous for us Yeah As far as if he did it or not But is it becomes morally ambiguous As to whether or not Is this Like his defense lawyer says You don't send A sick person To an executioner You send them to a doctor Yeah And so he's, he makes the argument This guy is sick And yeah. he needs mental help Not To be killed But I mean just the way That he, he talks
1: about uh, You know He feels like He can't escape himself That he feels like there's a specter of him chasing him around.
0: Immer, immer muss ich durch Straßen gehen. Und immer spüre ich, da ist einer hinter mir her. Es bin ich selber. Und verfolgt mich. Lautlos. Aber ich höre es doch. Ja, manchmal ist mir, als ob ich selber hinter mir herliefe. Ich will davon, von mir selber davonlaufen. Aber ich kann nicht, kann mir nicht entkommen. Muss, muss den Weg gehen, den es mich jagt. Muss rennen, rennen, endlose Straßen. Ich will weg, ich will weg. Und mit mir rennen die Gespenster und Müttern von Kindern. Die gehen nie mehr weg, die
1: sind immer da. Emma. 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 Did you did you watch that Louis C.K. show, uh, Horace and Pete?
0: No, I haven't.
1: Uh, Steve Buscemi's character in that s- suffers from some sort of schizophrenia, mm-hmm. and it has like the same thing. And Steve Buscemi sort of like a modern day Peter Laurie in my eyes. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's like he has like the same struggles. Like he's medicated in the show. But at, like, one point, like, his insurance stops covering his medication. Oh,
0: no. And
1: he starts becoming violent towards other characters. And, yeah, it's like he, in his head, he's not seeing himself being violent. Like, he's seeing himself as, like, protecting or, like, running away. But, like, in reality, that's what's happening.
0: This has happened in real life, too. I don't know if you remember a couple years ago, there was that incident on a Greyhound bus in Canada where some dude who had schizophrenia stopped taking his meds and ended up decapitating the person next to him on the bus. Oh, God. And it's like, what do you do in that situation? Because it's like, as long as he's taking his meds, he's just a normal person, and it can, like, function within society. But it's like, you just decide one day not to take them, and there's nobody looking over you to make sure that you are. Like, somebody could lose their head. Yeah. It's fucked. (laughs) It's a tough situation. Um... Well,
1: you brought up uh, Reagan's assassination attempt. Uh-huh. Uh, was it John Hinckley? Was that yeah? That's the name of the
0: oh uh, the guy shot John Lennon.
1: Shit. That's Mark David Chapman. Oh.
0: Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were. <laughs> no, John Hinckley was the, of the guy. I'm on board. I got gotcha. you. We're on the same page now.
1: Uh, to impress Jodie Foster. Right, and, oh, right. But he is essentially free now. He, because he was deemed mentally ill. Yeah. And he went to, uh, a, you know, a home, an asylum. But then he was deemed not no longer a threat to the public. Mm-hmm. And he's in his parents' care. Yeah. He lives with his parents, but he's free. He can go see movies and go to the grocery store, you know. Right. Uh, he's in their care, but I was like, oh, that's... For a guy who, like, shot a president. (laughs) Uh,
0: And they make that argument in this movie, too. Because they're like, oh, well then, if you do get a trial, you're just gonna plead insanity and then, like, be let out after you're cured, quote-unquote. And then, like, it all happens again. And this is in 1931 that he's talking about this shit. (laughs) What did we do as a society before drugs? (laughs) Like... Don't know.
1: Before, like... I don't know what the term is, but like mood altering drugs.
0: Yeah. Like we just it's I, Like you're I bad guess, we're I locking guess, you up.
1: Well I was gonna say, I guess we just had insane asylums yeah. where we
0: put him in a straitjacket and say violated human so rights. Right. Yeah. Oh god. Dark. <laughs> uh ugh. I like that the, I like that there's the mob element to this too, the like the, yeah, they, they kinda of take the like their... vigilante justice kind yeah. of, because they're like we operate under the law and we can't do our job if the law is out looking for a child murderer because they are on it and doing raids and we need to fucking do our thing. And so like they're like, Well, we need to capture this murderer so that we can get on with our business. <laughs> I kinda like that dark element to it. Uh
1: it strikes me as very real. Yeah. Like, I don't know. There was something about it, like, that just seemed true to life. I, I, you know, I can't, I don't know if I can really explain why, but I'm just like, no. That, that seems That, that like, seems how how it operates. Yeah, it
0: seems like that that would be the way to go. Just like, the police are looking, oh, which just means, like, look, murder upsets a community, any community, and that includes your mob, your local <laughs> <Yeah>. mob. <laughs> They don't like it either. Oh, uh, there's no justice like angry mob justice. Uh, I love the uh, the bartender woman in the, um. I'm assuming it's some kind of speakeasy or something. I don't know. But, like, after they've raided her place and kicked everybody out. And...
1: Oh, yeah. I remember, like, someone was like, the cops are coming. And, like, right.
0: suddenly everyone's scattered.
1: And, like, yeah, she pulls down, she pulls, like, a lever and, like, bars come down like,
0: shatters glasses. Yeah, it's like those gas stations with, like, the full plexiglass. Yeah, I was thinking, (laughs) I was like,
1: were people not allowed to
0: drink? I'm not sure what was exact. I mean, I'm sure that there was, like, there was prostitution going on there, and she addresses that, and she's like, whatever, business is business. But then she's also just like, look, you guys raiding my place is A, killing my business, and believe me, these people want to see this fucking killer dead, too.
1: Wenn Kinder spielen, Bestie unter Finger aus machen, kann
0: ich sagen. We hate him just as much as you do, because you guys coming around here fucks up our fun. <laughs> uh, well, also it's like pedophiles and like child murders are
1: like when you send them to jail, yeah. it's essentially a death sentence.
0: Yeah. Like even other criminals don't
1: tolerate that sort of thing. Mm.
0: I mean, besides the fact that, you know, the script is really savvy and covers, like, all these bases that we're talking about now, uh, there's a lot of stylistic moves that are cool. Like, when we finally learn about the, the organization of beggars... The was...
1: organization of beggars.
0: Okay. Um, there's, this, there's this, like... They have unionized. Yeah. There's this amazing... It's almost a one where he's just, like, flying around the this room where all these beggars are, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like mm-hmm. you see them playing cards, you see one of them examining a sandwich and his line is Blood Pudding is on the upswing. Yeah. Um, and then there's you know, and it's like it's all a one shot and I mean it's a shaky camera because like I didn't have steady cam then. But then it like it zooms up and then fades out and then fades I mean their the dollies weren't uh, <laughs> totally shock resistant in nineteen thirty one. Can you believe it? Um, but then there's a cool shot where he actually, like, goes in through the window. Did you notice this? Like, he's going in through a window, and I, I really don't know how they filmed it, unless they, like... It was, it was was there the frame? Maybe it was just the
1: frame and no glass?
0: No, because it's a pa- so it's a paned window. Oh, okay. And he, he, the camera goes through, like, one tiny pane, and you can see the glass getting removed. Okay. But then, like, I don't know how he continued to the camera through the pane, because the pane is tiny. It's like a Kleenex box size pane. And somehow the camera keeps moving past it. Unless they, like... Somehow the pain moves to I'll show it to you. Because it's really... I don't know how I did it. It's cool.
1: <laughs> I mean, Fritz Lang... This is someone who, like, cut their teeth making silent films. Yeah. And silent films, like... You got no choice but to, like, do stuff visually. Yeah. Like, uh... And I mean, even the tricks in Metropolis, like people still are amazed at that. You know, it's like he he was thinking, like he skipped a step, yeah. you know, in in thinking. It wasn't like he did the next logical step. He it's like he saw that next logical step and just skipped right over I it to the next and one. Just
0: like kept doing it. I don't know. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. There's just lots of little savvy moments like that. There was the the when the mob boss or whatever the this. A safe breaker I think yeah is what his name is um is talking to his group of other mob people and is, is just like we need to figure out how to get to the, how to get to this guy and then he makes like a gesture with his hand and then there's a cut to the police chief making that exact same gesture they did
1: a lot of like the the mirroring of like gestures and like because mm-hmm. there was one where like it was like all the police were like sitting at a table like discussing like how to do things and then it cuts to the mob and they're all sitting at like the same spots of right. the table.
0: Yeah.
1: Also discussing it but going at it in a different way. A really like different the, the police were discussing like a tactician's way of doing things. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's when they were like talking about like find, going from like the candy store out and like where they found the wrapper and like moving outwards and right. then it goes to like the mob and then they're not being as clinical as the police like they're talking like broad strokes and things like that but they're all sitting in at at a table in a very similar manner
0: right um and there's also just like it's the way he moves around uh like time and space is great like so at the end before we get to the the um abandoned brewery i think is what it is where they have the trial quote unquote yeah um the way we get to that part is interv- uh, our main detective, uh, Loman, is interviewing that one guy who got left behind and uh, he's like, where are they having it? And he's like, okay, fine, well, they took him to this place and then he starts describing it and we cut to like exterior shots of it and then like interior shots, and then the voiceover and then we're just there. Yeah. Like, that is really savvy as far as, like, transporting you from one place to the other. You know, it feels very smooth. Like, you just, and very natural to just go from, like, this guy just, like, you're just seeing the thing he's describing. And then when he stops talking, we're just there. It's like, we've been transported. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's really great. <laughs> For 1931. You don't have to be bashful. You can own it. <laughs> It's cool. Uh, and I mean, it's something that, again, it's one of those things that you see all the time now, but back then, it was really smart, especially for your first talkie, you know? Imagine never getting to use sound for ten years in film, and then suddenly you do, and you're doing it you're in... You're probably
1: the... brimming with ideas. <laughs> <You> gotta <laughs> sit on all those great nuggets for ten years. <laughs> and one like... day...
0: I love the idea of him editing something before sound was available, and just being like, "Fuck, <laughs> only got sound." Uh, so the
1: the very very end, you have like the the mothers right, like waiting to hear what like the the judgment's going to be essentially right, and it sort of like just ends abruptly, but like the one mother says like. There's no judgment that's going to bring our children back. And then the movie ends. Yeah.
0: Oh it's basically God. like Helen Lovejoy, won't <gasps> someone think son, of the children? Please think of the children! And, yeah, it's jarring. Like,
1: the movie ended almost like, that's it? I was like, is that how this really ends? Like, we don't know what the outcome for Peter Laurie is going to be like. We don't know whether or not, like, the state has found him guilty, innocent, crazy, whatever. But then it, it just ends on that note that, like,
0: yeah, it
1: doesn't matter what it is, like, nothing's going to fix what's been
0: broken, yeah. Uh,
1: and then, yeah, and it it's like, roll credits.
0: It's, it's like, did, did you ever watch film strips in like elementary school or something, and then like it runs to the end and it just starts yapping? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. like that's probably what happened when this movie ended, it's just,
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's just a German audience
0: being like, <laughs> it's like, oh my god.
1: Fritz, I wanted Metropolis.
0: <laughs> oh I'm gonna join the Nazis now. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh it's an intense movie that just feels way ahead of its time to me. Yeah. Like, like it's basically a proto noir. I was gonna say this movie feels at least 20
1: years ahead of its time. Yeah. He's one of the greats.
0: And, uh...
1: He's also, like, quintessential, like, when you think of, like... Oh,
0: right. I know what you're gonna say.
1: Total, like, art house, like, controlling director. It's like, he's got, like, the monocle, uh-huh. and, like,
0: the bald head, and just everything. Do you picture, I just picture him picking up a big megaphone and be like, Do it again! Exactly. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's I think that's accurate, actually, too. <laughs> Seems like that kind of a guy. So we were 257
1: minutes away, and uh, it looks like 28 seconds has passed. So how many minutes away are we from that blowjob joke?
0: Oh, it's uh, next exit. We should take it right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. There's. Uh, we said a lot. We were saying a lot of nice things about Fritz Lang and uh, his directorial style and like in, inventiveness. Um, there is one shot that I take bridge with, and that is of uh, Detective Loman talking to someone on the phone. And for no particular reason, we cut to under the desk, and there's like oh this weird God. upshot of his yeah. crotch. Yes, and it's like it's like the place all the moose <laughs> knuckle. <laughs> it's the place you would hide if you were giving someone a BJ, yeah. while at their desk. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all I could think about during that scene. It just the prime blowjob exposure? Yeah, or like you're hiding from someone who might come into the office. It's a weird place to put your audience. It's just I definitely thought about that. What, it's just, I don't know. And I, I think he's just trying to break up the the visual style, which, good on you, but I think this is a miss. <laughs> so was that the blowjob joke? Yes. <laughs> Oh, I thought it was going
1: to be like uh,
0: the um Ching. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. Um, you blew it. <laughs> there it is. There it is.
1: Yeah.
0: Question to you. Okay. Um, do you like this movie?
1: Oh, of course. I'm oh, good. Okay. I mean, it's sort of unequivocally a good movie.
0: Yeah. Okay, good.
1: <laughs> uh, this is one of those movies, like, if you don't like it, do you even really
0: like movies? Yeah. Do you understand what filmmaking is? (laughs) All in all, if you haven't seen this movie, please do. I think I think you'll really like it. Yeah. It's a movie that I I really highly recommend, and I know it's maybe a tough sell because it's old and black and white and in German, but you're gonna like it, I promise you. Everybody will like this
1: movie.
0: (laughs) I have one more thing I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. Um, when they're going around uh, to the candy shops, they, it, there's, one, there's one candy shop that looks like it's selling regular caramel and salted caramel. And you hate salted caramel. Yeah, well, I, I <laughs> take with the fact that there's even salted caramel in this movie. <laughs> Disgusting.
1: This is where you and I are going to have to disagree. What?! (laughs) Salted caramel is so good. Matt, what are you talking about? Salty, sweet, like there's nothing better in life There is putting your hands together to form the salty
0: sweet combo. There's a time and a place for salty and sweet and it's not with caramel. Caramel is a sweet confection, period.
1: Alright, where do salty and sweet mix appropriately?
0: Um, cheese and apples. Uh, you just gotta um, be ha- or, or healthy about it, don't you? <laughs> don't put salt in my candy. I don't like it.
1: <laughs> Nutella on saltines. Salt on caramel. Caramel on corn. Popcorn, that is.
0: Alright, alright. Kettle corn is delicious. Okay. I'll I'll agree with that. Popcorn's a thing that can go salty or sweet. You know, you can go either way with that.
1: I don't know, man. Salted caramel is okay in my book. Oh my
0: god. Do we have any listeners out there who agree with me that salted caramel is gross? Cuz if I'm the only one, I'm willing to uh I'm willing to step down.
1: See, the problem with this is that I am a blowhard, so people will take your side <laughs> just to not be on my side.
0: I will take any people on my side that I can. <laughs> Regardless of their blowhardedness, aversion, blowharded aversion-ness? Hmm.
1: We'll ruminate on that later.
0: (laughs) Anyway, what's, what do we got to follow this? So you know how earlier I described this movie as
1: being unequivocally good? Yes. I'm going to make you watch a movie that's the exact opposite. Oh no. (laughs) Which is to say that it's, Equivocally bad? Oh, great. Okay. Uh, You'll watch it, and you'll think that was terrible, and then you'll think about it, and you're like, maybe it wasn't?
0: Okay.
1: It's a late Francis Ford Coppola movie called Twixt. Oh, okay. It came out in, like, 2011. I haven't seen it. And you're really not going to know how to feel about this one walking away. Twix,
0: like the candy.
1: Twixt.
0: E-W-I-X-T? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Twixt. Twixt. Yeah. Okay. I'm up for it. Alright. I don't have a choice. (laughs) Hey, let's plug our junk.
1: Let's plug our junk. Follow us on Twitter, at X-Rated
0: Movies. A lot of fun stuff happening there recently. Um, We're also, we have an email account. It's uh, ex.rated.movies.com at gmail.com x.rated.movies
1: spelling be here
0: <laughs> can you use the word in a sentence <laughs> uh, like us on facebook at rated x movies yeah and if you've got some time write a little review on the itunes or uh, throw us a few stars there or, or subscribe yeah subscribing is a fun way to do it too rate, review, subscribe any combination of those three or any and welcome We do have a Patreon, and I've set up a couple goals there, so if you want to help us uh, go to a podcast convention in December or uh, help us get new microphones, that's where you can put your dollars. Insert your dollars here. Um,
1: We also have an Instagram account. That's right. X-rated movies.
0: I mean, just lots. We're on Reddit,
1: for crying out loud. Yeah? Look for... uh, well, basically the all-caps movie ones. <laughs> but it's uh, in the Seattle podcast subreddit.
0: Yeah. Um, we're, we're doing stuff there.
1: Uh, wow, I feel like this is the, the first episode where the closing is as long as the rest of the podcast.
0: <laughs> I mean, our junk just keeps growing <laughs> that we need to plug.
1: It's going to be an unpluggable junk here
0: so you Just... <laughs> We're going to have to have a podcast that's just our junk (laughs) plugging.
1: Let's just say our junk could fill up quite a (laughs) dike.
0: Oh, God. I mean, like a dam. Yes. (laughs) I know what you meant. I was was on board. Thank you for listening. (laughs) If you're still there, listeners, we'll see you next week with... Twixt. Twixt. A candy that should remain sweet, not salty. <laughs> salty and sweet. and of podcast.